You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. After the lights go out on Talk Sport. I'm Steve Harmison. I represented England in 63 tests and 58 one-day nationals and won the Ashes twice with my country. And I'm Leon McKenzie. I've experienced life as both a Premier League footballer and professional boxer. In this series, we're focusing on elite athletes and their transition from professional sport to civilian life. We both enjoyed the highs and lows unique to professional sport. A vocation which can lead to adulation and riches beyond the means of the vast majority of people. However, we also struggled with what followed when our respective careers came to an end, with the roar of the crowd becoming a fading memory and the adrenaline-fueled lifestyle was no more. Tonight on TalkSport, we are joined by one of the great batsmen from the modern era of English cricket, a man who represented England in 76 test matches and 123 one-day internationals, Somerset's finest, Marcus Trescothic. Magnificent stroke from Trescothic. Behind the air, that's going to go all the way. Very big hit there from Trescothic. It's full, it's through, and it's four, and it's 200 to Marcus Trescothic. We'll be joined by Marcus in a moment, but first, Steve, you played many times alongside Marcus for England. What are you expecting from this interview? Uh, very frank, very honest. Um, somebody who was one of the best players that I played alongside. His condition, like we've both got, and many other sportsmen have, have suffered in the past, was probably the first one that came to the public eye mm. in 2006. Anxiety, depression, the mental health issue was something which um, ended his career and you know, pushed him back towards Somerset as a as a player who played for 27, I think he played 27 years of professional sport, which is a phenomenal achievement, but it curtailed. And when you look, and I'm saying curtailed, 76 test matches, 123 one-day nationals. Mm. That's a lot. But when I think of Marcus Truscothic, that could have been 
150 test matches and 300 one-day nationals if wasn't this struck down conditions. from this this illness and this condition. So mm. um, I've wrote, you know, I've read his book, been through the majority of his playing career from an England player's point of view and somebody who is very frank and very honest and very open with the condition he has. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, let's see what the great man's got to say. I'm delighted to introduce tonight's guest on After the Lights Go Out. It is a pleasure to say good evening to Marcus Truscoffic. Well, Marcus, firstly, thanks for coming on. And no worries. You know, I really appreciate it. Chelsea, you had sort of two retirements from cricket, you know, your high profile departure uh, from the England scene. Um, in a in a time when obviously I was involved in and I and I seen firsthand of of what you were going through and could relate a lot to that, and then obviously last year you know at Somerset when you finally uh, Peter Pan finally retired from from cricket and you got away from it. I was going to say how is it away from the game of cricket, but you're still in it. So have you gone from sort of taking your big bats home and looking after them, putting new <laughs> grips on and shining the bottom bits? Um, to the little bats that you do now for for catching practice, how's that? Yeah. How has that been? It's been good, um, really good actually. I, I was worried for a long period of time about uh, the, the sort of transition out of the game and into the next career, what it was going to be like, really. And I think uh, you, you know you sort of plan and try and do what you can to put things in place so that it works. And and I think I guess I might have succeeded in that in the fact that. I had my last couple of years um, whilst still playing that I could still go away and do a bit of coaching um, or go away and do a bit of punditry with uh, on the TV and things like that really. So I was sort of gaining experience, going into different environments um, and sort of learning a new trade and, and that, that really helped when it finally came to the point of, of hanging them up. And you know what, I, I've not missed it. I, I thought I would be, you know, sort of chomping at the bit trying to get back into it or you know wanting to go and have a bat but I haven't which is which has been good to me really I'm I'm pleased with that so uh, I, I get a lot of my joy now from from the coaching and the slinging when you came away from the international scene and you went back to play domestic cricket I know you went for you know there was a reason because of that but was it as a relief that because you just enjoyed the game or was it a relief that you know I'm away from the international scene well, I still had the love of the game. I still wanted to carry on playing. Um, it was just the the extra demands of being abroad or putting myself in that sort of situation where I was going to find it tricky. And that you know, once I took that away, which I knew I had to do, I, I couldn't carry on in the same fashion as what I was. I couldn't keep putting myself through it because it was just hurting too much. That I had to give away the international stuff. I knew that I could still carry on playing domestic cricket and you know, sort of playing and travelling within this country that that was never a problem really so um you know it, it was an easy sort of move into that because i felt a lot safer just felt more comfortable and that i could deal with playing uh, county cricket and the rigmarole that goes with that so it it's um it wasn't too much of an issue really marcus i'm going to touch on um the the homesickness side of things um yeah you struggled with being away from home and that caused you great anxiety with everything yeah. that comes with it also, as a child, you had uh, suffered uh, experiences of, 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 you know, being away from home as well. Could you like get a bit more into that in respect of where where that sort of sort of stems from and why yeah. you feel that really led into the real serious attacks of anxiety and depression? Yeah, well, it, look, I, I think um, the anxiety feeling was was something that was with me for a long period of time, and it manifested itself when things 
um, like traveling for me really sort of came uh, and I had to go and do it. So back when I was 11, mm. um, I went on my first trip away with the school um, and I found that very, very tricky, you know, just very upset and the feelings, exactly the same emotions that I went through at that time were were very evident um, and sort of exactly the same as what I, I, I've experienced then and still do. I don't know why it came around or what, what caused it. Um, it was just always my... Uh, my Achilles heel really of, of trying to to do these little things but uh I mean I hated traveling I, I when I was used to travel away to games I don't know about you Steve but I just didn't like staying in hotels I didn't like staying away and I think it became more apparent to me when I actually had my own family and I had my own children I hated it even more so I totally um understand where you would be with that what about yourself Steve but did it, you feel when you talk about traveling and being away for games you were going away for three days yeah, you know, me and Marcus and the England cricket team. Yeah, you know, during that sort of mid two thousand time, we were spending we were spending three hundred nights. Yeah, that's, in that's, hotel rooms. That's it incredible. was in Trez. I spoke to um, a journalist yesterday because we're talking about writing a book on touring and touring life, and asking mm-hmm. me what my thoughts were. And I said it was it was something which was when you you spend sometimes spend fourteen fifteen hours a day in a place you do not want to be. And the pressures come with touring when you're potentially going well in a team, scoring runs, days fly by. When you're not scoring runs and everything is under pressure and your place is under pressure. I had a big problem with you know, anxiety and homesickness, you, you know, which you obviously seen because you've seen me close quarter. But I felt as though if I didn't play, that would be the end of me. You were the trailblazer that came out and said in 2006, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, but it, I guess it got to a certain point now where, you know, I'd been living it for a period of time. That yeah. I'd, mm. I, it was just too much at that stage. I, I dealt with it for a long period of time, and, and it's something I got used to dealing with. More often than not, for the first couple of days of a, of a winter trip, uh, I always found it quite tricky. But I, I just put it down to, you know, that just a little bit of homesickness that I had, and it was just like, okay, I'll deal with this. Get over, give it a couple of days, and I'll be into it. Um you know, little did I know that it was more severe than that. And once it got diagnosed as anxiety to depression disorders, then it, it, it completely changed things because um, it once it had a title, it was a lot more severe in my own mind. And I found it harder and harder to deal with it at that point. And that's when it, you know, it turned a corner and, and made it very much more severe and, and dealing with things, you know, in general life after that. You was playing some of your best cricket when you was going through these challenges. And that's what's, that's what's really interesting for me because... When I was going through a really bad, dark place in my time and I was playing premiership football at the time, I was going through some horrendous things like off the field, emotionally. You know, there'd be times I, I remember reading you had a, a time where you was you broke down in, in uh, Dixon's in um, yeah. Heathrow. And, and you yeah. know, there's, I'm, I remember the times where I've been on a tube and I've, I've like burst into tears because of the anxiety and things that are going on. How did you deal with it and when did it all start really being a little bit too much you know that there's always like a trigger so there was, i was going yeah, through divorce was, and yeah. stuff what about how was it yeah. for you so i i reckon i could manage most of it um to a certain point and then then it would it would tip over the edge and then it becomes too bad and you you have to go right i need time out i've got to take a week off or whatever it may be mm. um to really get focused on it yeah, so during the summer times that those periods were okay and they were manageable um, it was only when I tried to, you know, challenge myself to go abroad again afterwards that it suddenly the barriers came up, and you know, and that's very tricky at that point because I know then I was in a place where 
everything was irrelevant apart from just being happy and just being, you know, being somewhere where I could get back to feeling normal. Um, and, and that's a completely different stage of my life. Um, and then there was also times during summer um, when you feel a little bit rough, but you fight through it. You, you just, mm. you know, you just grit your teeth and get your head down and crack on and, and get the job done, you know. Um, but there are periods when you realise it's just too much and, and that's when you, you know, you needed to take, take a step back. Talking about, you know, Dixon's when I when I was stuck there at the airport and knew in that I was yeah. about to try and do something that this is not, I'm not comfortable with this. Um, and it became too tricky. So um, you've got to do something about it. And my way was just to bolt and get out of it as quick as possible. There's things that come to mind from mine and your relationship was, I remember you ringing me in Bristol, I think it was. You were probably staying at home for a one-day series in Pakistan. Yeah. And it was like, why is he ringing me? He's got five or six people in this team that he could ring before. And I remember you coming and sitting on the on the chair, and I was yeah. like, well, come on, spit it out. What's going on? And then when you told me what you were feeling like, I was like, there was a little bit of relief in me to think, thank God I'm not the only one. But it was also one of my friends is in trouble. It's funny, isn't it, how it sort of built us together. It definitely sort of brought us together. Because you're right, it, it was, our, our relationship wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you and Fred were, or myself and Gilo, for example. But, you know, afterwards, once we sort of connected in that way, it brought us so much more closer. Um, and helped each other because we could then, you know, we had someone to talk to and, and mention things about things. Marcus, do you see uh, around the sort of 2006 year, do you think there was a, a stigma around cricket did you feel like uncomfortable to actually speak as you do today um i don't anymore i think at the time when i you know when it all happened for me and once i've got a, an understanding about what was going on i, I kind of needed to i kind of felt like look i've got to tell you I, I, there was so much rubbish that had been written mm. um and people have come up with stories that just weren't true and you know i needed to tell the story to get it off my chest because I, I was just constantly hiding away from various articles or interviews that I was doing. And it was like, this is just making it worse because I'm then trying to cover my tracks thinking, right, what did I say in that interview that I said, I've got to cover this one. So I needed to, to sort of let it go and to say, look, here it is. This is what I've got. This is what I deal with. It's not fun, but, you know, like it or lump it, you know, because I, I've had enough of sort of hiding it away. Um, this is what it is. And and that's helped me so much. You know, writing the book was was such a... Uh, a big thing for me to tell people all about it because I can then, even now, I can say to people, oh, I'm still just struggling a little bit, I need a bit of time. Um, and their their understanding of it is so much greater. Did you feel, did you feel when you wrote the book, ther it was therapeutical because I wrote mine and I thought it was the best thing I've ever done. I laid it out there and the guy who wrote my book, I felt as though he was like a, um, he's like a therapist to me. 100%. There's an element of, of fear when you're, when you're going through it um because you you know what reaction is it going to get when you finally go when you go finally go live um you know and what uh you know when you're having to go back through and you have to read every chapter and that, that i found that quite tricky there was one moment i found i was on train going up to london for a meeting and um I'd, and i sat there reading a couple of chapters and it almost brought me to tears then you know just thinking going back through my own life story um, and and sort of uh, reliving it at that stage because it felt so um, so raw again, but it helped massively by telling people. And like I said to you, just being honest—that that is the biggest thing for me. That's yeah. that's made a difference because I have nothing to hide anymore. 
you know, I've given everything that I've got and you can see everything that I've had. You know, if you want to dig any deeper, you're not going to find anything because this is what I deal with. And it still, it still comes and goes. I'm feeling a bit ropey at the moment, funny enough, you know, just you know, going through a little pe- a spell where I just you know, manage my sort of emotions and how I'm feeling and then sleeps a little bit off, you know. So you deal with these sort of things on a regular basis. Mm. So it's, it is out there now, which, is, which really helps me because I can just be honest with myself and with other people about if I need to take a bit of time off or I need a bit of, you know, lead a bit of love somewhere, you know. It's just uh, a little bit different. Marcus, after 76 Test matches and 123 One Day Nationals, you retired from playing for England in 2008. Tell us the story of your recovery and coming to the realization that playing for your country was no longer possible. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, difficult times. You know, if you think back to the to when it all happened and, and how it all operated, um, I kind of knew that it had come to a point where I couldn't carry on doing it in the fashion that I wanted to. So it was it became an easy decision to actually retire from international cricket because it was just too big an issue um, to keep putting myself through it. My health was was suffering. I felt awful, um, and it just made it uh, an obvious thing that I needed to just say thanks very much. Um, I'm settled and, and happy um, that I'll move back into just playing a bit of county cricket and uh, enjoying my time there. You got asked a few times, though. I know Andrew Strauss asked you in 2009 to come back, you know, but there was times, did you think as though you could come back? Yeah, I did, yeah. I tried on a couple of occasions. Um, obviously, 2007, we went to Australia and obviously, I tried again to to make that work. And then I spoke to I think Kevin Peterson texted me while he was in his um, short tenure of uh, of England captain. I fell for that one. To, yeah, to see what I was going to do. And once you, you know, and I remember then speaking with Peter Moores and and various people. But uh, I, again, the closer I got to potentially trying to come back or even giving it a go, the the, the emotions and feelings were just coming, you know, to the front again. And it, and I just knew it was just like look. Why do I keep putting myself in? I appreciate, I loved playing for England and it was great fun, but it's just too tough and I can't cope with the emotion that it, it gives me. So I have to walk away and just be happy and settled with what I'm going to do and play cricket for Somerset for as long as I could do at that point. And um, I was happy with that. I was happy with that. And I, and I was comfortable enough to be able to go back and enjoy my time there. I mean, Marcus, you, you say that you, you love the game. What do you think gave you the strength to say, I'm done, I'm walking away, like enough's enough? I think it was an easy thing. It was like the emotion of loving playing for England and enjoying um, the highs and the lows of doing what you did yeah. compared to the feelings that I was getting from, you know, from the anxiety and the depression side of things. That, that outweighed, you know, that tipped the scales in, in, the, in the wrong direction and I knew I couldn't keep, putting my through myself all that pain um so it, it it was an obvious decision that i had to make that choice because it was affecting me too much um and it was just a simple thing at the end of the day that you know you, it was there staring you in the face that this is what i had to do when you made that decision did you feel like it was just like a weight off your shoulder i remember when i i had my last professional boxing fight for the southern area title and uh, lost by split decision but i retired the next day it was a massive release for me to say I've I've given my best now, but there's no more yeah. sort of coming back as such. Did you feel the same? I, I was definitely like that when I when I retired playing from Somerset. I knew that everything was done at that point. I remember th- um, I spoke to a couple of various people who I was involved with, a couple of sponsors, to to say to them, look, this is going to be coming out in the next couple of days. Um, appreciate you know all the work and help you've given me, and uh, and go from there. Uh, and I, I remember sitting there and it was like, ah, oh, 
just a bit a bit despondent and a bit unhappy with it. But I think once it was done, and a couple of days after the the announcement was made, it was like, well, I I, pre, I know what I, this is. I know what's what's causing all this. It was obvious then that I you know I'd made the right choice and, and I was comfortable. You know, a good friend of ours, you know, I've been an agent for, for a long, long time. He tells me a story of meeting you off the plane. I remember in Canberra sitting next to you on the bus or sitting, you were sitting in front of me on the bus. I think you got 12 runs. I think Brett Lee bowled a fast over and you said, I couldn't see a thing that was going. And to be fair, when we're in the Sydney test, in the, in the test match ground, it was a bit like a, it was a comedy sketch because I remember Fletch had a migraine at the time. All the lights were off. You know, you came off the field. I can't remember who the doctor was. I think it was Nick Pierce. Shouted yeah, at me coming it. off, and he and he's he's like, "Can you come and have a conversation?" Yeah, Trezor's having a struggle, and I remember talking to you, and and there was a lot of talk about Haley coming over, and it was like, "This is," and I can remember saying to Nick Pierce, "I've been through this. I know what this is like. This is not the right course of action. Bringing his wife over, Marcus needs mm. to go." And I remember Harv Neil Fairbrother saying, "When he seen you when you first came off that plane coming home, and it was probably was the end. The relief and the sh- as you had just come off a trip from Malaga or Marbella or Ibiza <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And for me, Leon, that." Mm. To see the end of a Marcus Triscothic. This is like in the footballing world. It's like Harry Kane retiring now. Yeah. But the relief that you had when he got off that plane yeah. was something. But I it, don't think anybody can describe that other than the people that have suffered. Both times that I came back, once from India, once from Australia, was that the only time for that sort of period um, of the previous week, two weeks, I felt comfortable was on the flight. Yeah. Because nothing, you know, the decision was made. I was on the way home. I was in in the air. Um, in a nice, softly comfy seat, um, and it was like, oh, at last, I can eat and I can drink and I can actually get some sleep now because the decision is made. Um, and that you're 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 most contented at that point because you're in the air. No one can get you. There's no one going to bug you, um, and you're happy. But it was the best thing. Getting off the flight was the best thing ever because uh, you got you got through the trap door. Basically, I was in the hotel after about 15 minutes, I reckon, mm. um, from getting off the flight the second time around, which was amazing because you there's a door literally as you walk off the aeroplane. You're normally walking through the little tunnel. There's a little door there if you ever notice. And you, I went straight down there, straight down into a car. I'm off and out the airport, and it was absolutely brilliant. But for the wrong reasons, of course. But uh, you know, you but for the right reasons for you, you though. No, of course it was. Yeah, but um, you know, experience little things like that was was quite special. But I, I was able to say, you know, just get me out of there. I, I was so bad that I was just like, just get me home. I just want to be in my own bedroom and my own house with my family and feel safe and get happy again. That was all I was worried about. But rewind that back maybe 72 hours. That feeling that you were going through 72 hours before mm. was it was something that you know, I remember experiencing. It is the worst feeling anybody could ever have and that's whether you're from a privileged background whether you play sport whether you you know you live on the street it is it's something that a human being you know unless you've gone through a dark time can can only describe yeah it's it's fear isn't it it's the anxiety it's the unknown Mm. you know all of your you know your little things that sort of get put together that are unpleasant you know your body's shaking your mind is racing you know you're sweating you, you know you're you're hungry, but you don't want to eat. It's just all these little different emotions that that, that your brain forces upon you. It's in that heightened state of alertness and and fear, which is makes it very very uncomfortable for you. You know, sometimes it's all about the mm. comeback. You know, sometimes we can retire, and, and I remember I retired from boxing, and I was like, 
Mm, maybe I can just give it one more go because yeah. you know there's always that that sort of fire inside us, especially yeah. when we're dealing with anxiety and depression. You know, I've had many days where I'm not really doing a great deal, and I feel like I'm not achieving, and I feel like I'm not doing anything, although I've achieved loads. So there's times where I want to be like, well, oh, no, I need to, I need to get back. I need to get back there. Do you ever feel like you need to get back, or you wanted to get back? Not, not anymore. Um, as I say, now I've now fully retired from playing the game, and, and I've found my sort of drive into to coaching in the next part of my career exciting. So I don't have it then, but there was definitely moments two thousand and eight, nine, ten. You know, I think there was a was it what year did Jonathan Trott play? Uh, two thousand two thousand and nine. There was talk about yeah. you coming back and playing that Test match that when was, we won at the Oval. I just got back to back hundreds playing yeah. for Somerset. Um, you know, you sort of envisage your ending of career at the Oval, don't you? And, you do, and yeah. I always dreamt of walking off into the sunset with a wave in my hat and thanks very much at the Oval. Um, I've had a brilliant international career and you, you put it to bed at that point. And I, and I knew um, if I was going to do it, I was doing it for the wrong reasons because it was about what I wanted to do necessarily more than what the top the, the team needed. You know, even before it got to a point... Um, before anybody really called me, I text Ashley because I think he was was he coach then, um, or I might have text Stracy or someone. Stracy was captain, and I said to him, "Look, even if you're thinking about it, I'm not interested because it was just it was just, would have been totally the wrong thing to do um, for me and for them. And, it, it, and obviously, it was the best thing they did was obviously picking Johnson Trot. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, and I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. After the lights go out, Leon McKenzie and Steve Harmson in conversation with Marcus Trascothic on Talk Sport. Marcus, after retiring from England duty, you went on to have many years with some outstanding performances in county cricket with Somerset. 
Alongside this, how did you find managing the threat of anxiety and dealing with your mental health conditions? Um, I reckon the more I experienced it and the more I dealt with it, the better I got at understanding. You know, I think uh, you, you build your own little coping strategies that you, you know will help you. Um, and you can sort of go through that sort of routine when you're feeling a little bit rough um, or thinking, or you know your thinking is not quite right. You, you do certain things. I, I know I do. I have certain uh, elements and things that I know I, I tick off once I'm feeling uh, not you, quite as good. So, can you elaborate on on the things that maybe yeah, you get through? Yeah, sim- real simple things. Um, I don't drink a great deal when I'm feeling bad. Um, I find that really doesn't help me at all. I avoid caffeine the same way because obviously it just pumps you up and keeps your adrenaline going more than than anything else. Um, I try and keep on top of training um, because I know you know just going for a, a gym session here and there. Uh, really makes me feel better. Um, the endorphins get pumping, and, and, and mentally you feel uh, a lot happier. Um, I'll obviously be in contact more with my um, psychologists that, that I speak to, um, and I would up my medication. Um, I take two different types of medication: one antidepressant in the morning, and I take an anti-anxiety in the evening, which I can sort of up and down a lot quicker and, and overnight if I need to 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 get on top of things and and that's really helped me having that little bit of a crutch to to rely on something that i know within a certain period of time a matter of days really sort of gets on top of my anxiety and gets me back down to thinking and feeling normally um that makes a big difference for me when did you realize that you know what medication could be the way forward for you because I've had, I've never experienced medication. Have, have you ever? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I still take it now. I've you got to take oh, one right, at so, night time. Yeah. So both of you take medication, which is, you know, sometimes it works for some, and sometimes it doesn't. But for I'm me, three days off it, I'm a nightmare. Yeah, see, I, I, I've, I've always been a bit fearful with the medication process. So I've had many trips to the doctors, and I've, I've, I've spoken openly about, you know, why am I feeling like this, and why am I, you know, crying about things, and why am I emotionally just a mess. Um, but I always felt that, you know, sometimes it's a little bit too easy to just start taking, uh, pills as such. But when I listen to you, Marcus, it, it sounds like it's been a massive help. Oh, huge. I think more than anything else, the, so I've taken the antidepressant, which is the morning tablet for a lot period, long, lot longer period of time. Um, that would have been, uh, on and off, uh, since sort of 2006 when I first came back. Um, I used to sort of go on them for the winter, come off them for the summer, but I found that I was getting too many ups and downs and the downs were too hard to, well, took me too long to recover where I wanted to be. So I said, look, I'm going to just stay on these full time. And then the anti-anxiety is the one that's really helped me because that's, that's helped with sleep and that's helped with sort of getting control of the anxiety a lot better and a lot quicker compared to if I wasn't taking it because there was a period of time where, you know, you take sort of diazepam and stuff like that, which helps mellow you out and relaxes you for a period of time, but it never actually cures any problems. It just masks them and it just takes away the pain for a period of uh, a few hours. But um, I needed something a bit more stronger that, that really helped me. And I, I agree, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea. I combine it with a, with a lot of other different things. Um, you know, talking to my psychologist is a huge help when I'm feeling rough. Um, I tried mindfulness and I tried yogas and I tried all these other things, but I never really found any benefit for me. So it's mm-hmm. a case of I rely heavily on the, the medication and, and I'm comfortable taking them because I appreciate if I don't, 
the downtimes are, are quite hard in, in relation to not taking them. And Ches, we work uh, very closely with the Professional Cricketers Association who, you know, there's been that stigma of the uh, depression, anxiety and the mental health issue in sport. I think they've been market leaders across all sports to be the first out there to help individuals uh, and people get back on track to have a, a life as normal as the, the possibly can. But when you first came out in 2006, can you tell people how beneficial here the PCA were, i.e. Richard Bevan and Jason Ratcliffe at the time, and now the work that they've done going forward? Because I know, speaking personally, from my experiences, talking to the likes of Ratters and, and Bevo, there was horrible stats in cricket prior to 2000 of divorce rates and suicide rate in sport and in cricket and that was something that I think they tried to push to help people individuals like ourselves to to make us you know feel better about life going forward first of all when when I came back it was crucial that I had somebody to speak to and, and it was more Richard Bevan for me so I spoke with Richard Bevan yeah and I was then in front of a psychologist or therapist within like two days and that's the, the same person I still speak to now that was crucial because you know it's if you go national health as we or NHS we know it's 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 tricky you know under-resourced uh, underfunded sort of area that that can't get you know you wait months to try and get into it so we were lucky that we had the union were putting straight things in place to try and get us the help straight away which was absolutely crucial um, and we had a system then which has grown massively since that that point. Um, there are now those type of therapists and other type of therapists across the country which are at the beck and call of sort of PCA or unions in general. But I know with the PCA that we have a system in place that if anybody calls in with troubled times, we can get them in front of somebody very, very quickly because, um, you know, that system has now been upped and... Uh, change dramatically to that you know we have the resources that we can we can fund into it in terms of the, the sort of suicide rates and you know people have talked about a lot about cricket in relation to does it breed uh, mental health problems um, my answer to this is simple is that until somebody shows me the facts of the s cricket in the style of game you play because it's four days or five days or whatever it may be and the emotions it calls you, this is what causes it. You are more susceptible to mental health problems. I can't believe that we're any different to anybody else in the country when across the board, it's one in three, one in four people suffer with mental health problems. Mm. You think how many members we have through the Professional Cricketers Association, past and present. There's going to be one in three, one in four across them, you know, that, that suffer with it. I can't understand. Is it just cricket has uh, had more cases that have been talked about? I don't know. I need the evidence to, to really sort of mm. trust that sort of that sort of theory at this point, and I, I, and I don't know if there is then. Marcus, do you think? I mean, I believe in triggers, and you know, my my sort of psychological battles definitely go right back to my childhood with things I've experienced as a, as a child. But do you feel like it does come down to like the triggers that are, are in are in our life? You know, things happen, we react to it. Some of us are a little bit more susceptible to mental health conditions to the point of more anxiety more depression everyone's individually different of course when I mean, you speak to some people and they don't really suffer like what i suffer from you suffer from steve suffers from do you think there's got to be something that happens to us for us to then to fall into that um i think our brain forges pathways and neural patterns and i know it's quite technical but 
you create these feelings by what goes on in your brain and how you've trained yourself. You could train yourself to kick a football. We could train yourself to play cricket and whatever we do. We've trained our brains to be in a certain fashion and reinforced it over a period of time. And it's mm. just, you know, that's how you have to refunction. And that's the education side of it. It makes you better when you can start to rationalize things that are, in your own mind are out of control because they're not rational thoughts. They're not logical thoughts. It's just out of control thinking. So you have to retrain that and, and get it back in. And, and sometimes it's caused by a bereavement. It's caused by whatever it is, you know, yes. addiction, whatever these sort of things. And everyone has their own little thing that it's caused by. But it's at the end of the day, we're all wired and we've wired our brains exactly how it is. There's no reason why I've suffered with this for a long period of time. It might have been part of my up upbringing. Mm. It might have been how I was born and how my brain operates. It's just sometimes people are more susceptible. It's my understanding. Please tell me I'm wrong. I'd love to... If someone's telling me... If someone phones in and says, right, you're talking absolute rubbish, I'm happy to admit it. But I don't think you're sort of thing I've, I've learned bits and pieces about it. You're in a process of now you, you've transitioned into coaching. It's interesting with everything that you've gone through uh, with your own challenges that you've actually stayed in the game and gone into coaching and still enjoy it? Yeah, look, I think having played for sort of 27 years, um, the transition out of it, because I, like I said before, that it was a little bit easier because it was a gradual process where I was getting experience during summer times and winter times to do that little bit of coaching. So it was a, the, the process was probably three or four years of the transition rather than being six months, suddenly end of September, job done, right, you've got to find a new career. I was, it was, the wheels were in motion for a good period of time. And, and I, it's, it's been okay. You know, I think uh, cricket has always been my life. And um, I wouldn't know what the hell to do if I wasn't involved in cricket. So it, it's a natural progression for me to be involved at the front line still, throwing balls at people instead of being the other end and hitting them. So it, uh, it felt an easy progression to, to move into something on that lines, which uh, I knew I'd, feel, I'd find happiness and uh, enjoyment at. Marcus, in 2019, you retired from Somerset. It ended what, as mentioned before, 27 years as a professional cricketer. Wow. How different was that to the decision you had when you retired from England? Uh, no, I think this was uh, not not easy, but uh, it was time. You know, I was crap by the end, so it was like... <laughs> it was time. You were, you were 43. <laughs> I know, I know. There was I only Peter Pan and Collie it. went on longer than you. <laughs> I, it was just like oh, okay. I think I played what five games maybe in the in the last season, and uh, I just couldn't match up to it anymore. You know, my eyes were were gone. You know, you can't pick up the ball in the same fashion as you used to. Um, you know, I remember concentrating in in the final game that I played in uh, against Surrey at Guildford. Where, where normally, once you've batted for sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, the adrenaline is there and you're sort of like kicking into the concentration mode and you're just away. I, I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into the mode of thinking, right, I'm in now. I'm ready to go. I can go and push on now and get a big score. I, I just, you know, those times had gone, whether the brain power had left me or, I, you know, the you know the, the emotions of it and everything was just, it was done. And I, and I knew then it was a case of, right, you know, I'm not going to go and play second team cricket anymore. And you know, as much as I love playing second team cricket, it, it was great because you could educate the youngsters. It was like I remember thinking a couple of times, "Why am I fielding here? It's like I'm second team cricket. There's no one watching. What am I doing? <laughs> go and actually, go and actually do something productive and actually think 
right, I can make a difference now by getting somebody else better. And it was obvious at that point. So. I thought that throughout uh, my whole career, to be, to be honest, Trez, in, in the field, yeah. I, what am I doing here? But, you know, say, 14 Test match hundreds, we could talk, and I've said this to Leon, and Leon's probably sick of me saying, about the ability of, of Marcus Truscothic. I always mm. made the joke that, you know, Kevin Peterson was the best player I ever played cricket with for England, but Marcus Truscothic was the best Englishman I ever played with. And when you look back at it, Trez, you know, 2004 from the Caribbean all the way through to probably what culminated us in my time in our careers was the 2005 Ashes we've got to touch on some good times we talk about the 2005 (laughs) Ashes Uh, uh, everybody's seen everybody's seen what happened on the field Um, what's your memory of off the field can we talk about the the bus trip after yeah. everybody had gone home and we and you uh, was it Freddie had gone to sleep? He did, yeah. We're going back to the hotel, back to the Grange afterwards, and we'd been to Downing Street, and we'd done all that, and we had another drink. Yeah, that I was. I just remember you got a, you had a, a permanent marker pen writing all over Freddie because he just he'd gone to sleep, and it was just absolute carnage at that point. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Trafalgar Square was just that was the highlight of of understanding what. We had achieved 250,000 people standing in Trafalgar Square waiting for Andrew Flintoff to sing Suspicious Minds when he got the <laughs> microphone on. It was just phenomenal. It was the bus ride for me. That, that's when I sort of appreciated how massive a, an occasion it was because everybody was lining the streets. And obviously, you know, it was probably what I can't even remember how long it took on the bus ride to get to Trafalgar Square. But, you know, to see everybody just leaning out windows, standing on rooftops, lining the streets was just incredible. And I, what I do remember, one of the big things I remember more than anything else, when we got to Trafalgar Square, it was absolutely boiling. Mm. We're all in our suited and booted, and we're half cut because obviously we've not had much sleep, and we've been another glass of champagne at the mayor's office. And I just remember feeling absolutely roasted, and thinking, "Just give me a bed, and just let me go and lie <laughs> down because I'm just absolutely shattered." But um, you know, I think if we could relive those moments, and we, we kind of saw it a little bit with the World Cup, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, last year, Brilliant. Um, the excitement of you know, what it creates when a national team does so well by winning a, a World Cup. Um, I think it was 2003, wasn't it? The Rugby World Cup, where they had similar sort of um, sort of a situation in, in London when they would they line the streets the same way. So um, when you can experience it for yourself and you're actually on the inside of it, it's incredible. Marcus, MBE, talk to me about that. And also you're an honorary doctor of health. Yeah, it's always nice. I think there's little accolades that come along. Uh, see, how, all... see us how humble he is, Steve. Yeah, it, it's so. always nice. Like, it, Who would have thought me and you would be in them sort of categories, uh, Marcus? Unbelievable. Stupid, to think Dr. Marcus Truscothic MBE, sometimes I realise. But, um, yeah, they're, Sounds they're great, great doesn't it? Say it again, Marcus. Say it again. Yeah, Say it again. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, little things, small things that come along and uh, they're nice to be awarded and sort of collect as you go. Yeah, Trez, you talk about careers and talk about all our life stories but the family man Marcus you know the children you know Haley and the kids and how has Haley and the kids come to terms with Marcus the dad now where we're from the game of cricket or the uh, the playing side of the cricket all okay yeah it's again because you know it's been a fairly smooth transition for me um the kids are you know a lot more grown up now 15 and 12 so you know things take a natural progression through life don't you it just brings its different challenges when I've got to you know, young girls, almost teenage girls, that uh, you know that that's a different uh, kettle of fish altogether. So, um, yeah, I'm tested in different ways. I would say now. <laughs> oh, you um, are. You ought to be in my household. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're tested in a certain way every day, but um, kind of 
kind of understanding it a bit and, and getting used to it. But it's, uh, you know, like this, these challenges for me for anxiety, depression will be there for as long as I, I live. So you've got a greater understanding. understanding. Yeah, you've got a greater understanding now. That's the main thing, isn't it? You, you yeah. realise when, you know, I'm, even for myself, you realise when the, the bouts come and you, you're, yeah. you're able to know, right, okay, it's here. What am I going to do with it? You know, yeah. there's like a fight back mentality in, in involved right. with that, which is how so I, so important. Yeah. How long is it going to last? You know, what am I going exactly. to do about it? How am I going to get over it? You know, you, you've been, I've been through the journey a million times and uh, it doesn't make it any easier. Um, I still hate it when I get to that point where I'm feeling really rough, but I guess you just have that little bit more confidence to know that this isn't going to last forever. Yeah, um, It's tough while it's here, but in a few weeks time, I'll be back to normal and it'll be okay again. I mean, it's so crucial that you have a, an understanding partner and someone that totally shows empathy and un- understanding towards, you know, the things that sometimes we feel like we're all alone with. Um, and yeah. I know that Hayley um, went for her own sort of postnatal depression and, and, and things that she was going through. And obviously you're going through your things. Hayley's going through her things. Yeah. How did you both, you know, get through that, that, that period? Um. It's a long time ago now, obviously. It's, mm. We're going back sort of 14 years when my first born. Um, but a period that could could finish most, you know? You know, sure. you know when you look back at something, when I look back at certain experiences and I've heard many uh, conversations and looked in many lives, I think sometimes not everyone makes it. So it's, it's a credit to you both that, you, you know, you're still standing strong. And like you say, as it is 14 years on, yeah. Where do you know where you stand today and how you got through those times? Because some people yeah. would want to hear that. Yeah, like, I think we we just got through as as you do as husband and wife, family with uh, her her parents around, my parents around, and and, and just you just crack on, don't you? You get the job done, really. Mm. Um, I don't think you ever. We never looked upon it as anything different. It was just okay. You're struggling a bit at the moment. I'm struggling a bit at the moment. Let's let's work it through. Let's. Um, talk about the various things you're thinking share tablets when we were both taking them and you know and just sort of go from there really you just sort of crack on and, and get the job done so you became as one even through even medications you, you still done things as together but to start with yeah exactly. I, so she she was taking various medication and i started on her medication so i was taking that for a period of time um and it, yeah you just get uh you get used to it and uh you know, you you can sort of you you've got the understanding there because I know yeah. you know she knows now when I what I feel like if I if I feel rough she knows what it's like. So. And Trez, finally, um, before we say thank you and goodbye, what does the future hold for Marcus Truscothic, the coach, the person, and somebody who I think you know, has a lot, still a lot to give the great game that we both loved and played. Well. I'm kind of sort of mapping that out as I go a little bit. I've been lucky enough. Uh, I'm now in a position uh, at Somerset as, as batting coach. And I've also had the opportunities to, to nip off and do a little bit of stuff with England, which has been which has been brilliant, you know. I foresee um, that I will go along my coaching journey wanting to gradually progress um, and build up to becoming a head coach of a, uh, of a team somewhere. I haven't ruled out international cricket and I'm just learning and getting the, all those little bits um, back together um, by doing little trips like I had a trip uh, with England in the winter for, for sort of two weeks in South Africa so the more and more I do of it the better I get the more confident I get um, I'm going to be able to be happy enough to put myself back in those sort of situations when uh, when touring life when the kids are a bit older then uh, uh, you know things will hopefully be a bit better Well Trez thanks you know, I, I hope I speak on behalf of everybody that's been listening and 
Leon, to say thanks very much for giving us your time and your thoughts. It's been fascinating, as ever, to speak to somebody who I you know, thoroughly enjoyed playing alongside. Um, and like I've said many times, one of the best players, I think, who's played cricket for England. So, again, thank you very much, Marcus Chiscothic. Thank you. Pleasure, guys. Thank you, guys. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 